Jesus, Jesus, holy name. I want you right now to pray for Lance and Stacy and Andy. They are down getting ready to minister uh, in uh, the prison. Let's go right now to the throne of grace. Father, in the name of the Lord, let there be a yoke-crushing, blind-eye-opening anointing, Lord God, rest upon them. Lord, a captive-setting-free anointing, Lord, to rest upon them tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you will intervene on their behalf, that you will touch those they're ministering to, that, Lord, as they become your gates, Lord God, the extension of your throne, Lord, I pray that, Lord, that there will be bondages broken tonight in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for the mental, physical, emotional, relational health in this room. I pray for those who need rest in their body, rest in their spirits, Lord, rest in their mind. I pray for those that need healing tonight, that they would begin to receive in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you, worship team. Andrew, come and join me tonight. Amen. Let's give the worship team some love here this evening. A couple of quick announcements, and we're going to jump right into it. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys did an exceptional job yesterday. Andrea went in, had to have dental surgery, and you can see it slowed her down so much. So uh, <laughs> she's back tonight, and so, uh, but thank you so much. Uh, able to service the community one last time in this area of ministry uh, in the food bank. Uh, also, Hispanic Outreach Saturday is going to be at 11 o'clock over next door, diaper distribution. Bibles and Burgers are going to be there uh, in Tawakini. They're going to be there from noon to 3. Empty Nesters, uh, come on out, 5 o'clock, great. This is the kickoff. If you want something to take place this year on the schedule, you got to put. You got to get in there. Also, Sunday, if you're interested in going to Puebla in September, this is an interest meeting. I'll give you the details. Uh, that's going to be after church on Sunday. And the Flourish has an outing on March the 19th. So thank you, Andrea. Kick it off, and we will get started as we continue in Ruth. All right. I'm starting my start clock because he said I couldn't do it just 20 minutes. There we go. 1959. Let's go. Tonight, as we continue to talk about Ruth, I want to start out by talking about discipline. I know it's not a fun topic, is it? We all discipline. Woo! Yay! A man who wrote a book years ago, I've read it, I'm reading it now my fourth time. It's called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Great book. I recommend it for anyone. It, it outlines spiritual disciplines and, and the release of grace that they have in our life. But he says something in the book that is so profound, and I've thought about it many, many times in my life. He said this, for every discipline, there's a corresponding freedom. For every discipline, there is a corresponding freedom. Let me tell you how it works. The discipline of eating right and exercising. What's the corresponding freedom? Health. The discipline of budgeting. Financial freedom. For every discipline, there is a, a, there's a freedom. For every single one. And so we have to look at that. So when we look at the word discipline, oftentimes we think about it as being in trouble, right? But God uses discipline in our life to work what end? Freedom. For every discipline, there is a corresponding freedom. So when we come into free in 2023, what we are asking the Lord to do is we are asking him to meet us in the areas of discipline in our life. 
Now, many of you are like, well, I want to back up off of that. But the reality is, for every lack of discipline, there is a corresponding bondage. Lack of discipline in your eating and exercising, the bondage is to be unhealthy, right? Lack of discipline in your finances, your <laughs> the bondage of being poor, right? So, see, this works this way. So when we, we have to oftentimes reframe how we look at something so that we welcome and accept it and we see the corresponding gift attached to it. I, for years, have been teaching in Ruth, and I've also been teaching this. We are either in blessing as children of God or we are on our way to blessing. You are either in blessing right now or you are on your way to blessing. Now, being on your way to blessing might be that you are in a course of discipline in order to bring you to the place of blessing because many of us, the blessings we pray for, we have not subjected ourselves to the discipline required to sustain the blessing. See, most of the time in our life, we don't always need miracles as badly as we need management. Because the miracle that we need without the management to sustain it would just be a waste. And God is not wasteful. He's strategic. And he loves to bring us to blessing in a way that causes us to be able to sustain the blessing and share the blessing. You see, there's no such place in God as a blessing that's not shared with others. The Bible says that it quotes Jesus as saying it, but it's not in the gospel anywhere. But we know that he said, it's quoted of him as saying it in Acts, but we know that he said a lot of things that not, none of the gospel writers necessarily recorded. It says if they recorded everything, there wouldn't be enough volumes to have it all. But it's said in Acts that Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Many of us love to receive, but we've never understood the blessing or we've often not even desired the blessing of giving at the same degree that we have desired the blessing of receiving. And so until we see the blessing of giving as equal and as Jesus said, greater, more blessed. The blessing of giving as being more greater than the blessing of receiving, then it falls in our life in a discipline category. That we need discipline in the area of giving because we don't yet understand that it is better than receiving. 
So here's how it works. We look, we're talking about Ruth. You're like, we're we talking about Ruth? We're talking about Ruth. As we look back, we've learned that the setting in Ruth here, the circumstance jumps forward. It's in the time that the judges ruled. There's a famine in the land. And we find out that this family has gone to Moab and by all intents and purposes, the word of God is wanting us to feel a time of chastening. That's why Ruth is in here. That's why it starts out there was during the time of Judges. Because if you spent any time in Judges, you know, as soon as it opens up, it was during the time of Judges, you're like, wah, wah, wah. Because there just weren't a lot of good Judges. Deborah, check. Got to leave it to a woman to do it right. I'm just... <laughs> and by the time you get to Samson, yeah, but <laughs> easy. By the time you get to Samson, I would go over. You have a situation where you have a person with unimaginable potential and tragic results. So we know that this is going on in famine. So we have this circumstance. And for every discipline, there's a corresponding freedom. And I just want to read this scripture to you in Hebrews. It's a real uplifter. So let's, let's read it real quick. Just in case you think that what I've got, it's not from the word of God. It says, have you forgotten, it's Hebrews 12 and 5. Have you forgotten the warning addressed to you as sons? Okay, it's up there. Have you forgotten the warning addressed to you as sons? My son, do not take lightly the discipline of Adonai or lose heart when you are corrected by him because Adonai disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he accepts. Great. It is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons. He's treating you as sons when he disciplines you. For what son does a father not discipline? Some, something all have to, oh, I think I typed it wrong. Where'd it go? Okay. Sometimes we all have to come to share. If we don't share in the discipline, we are illegitimate and not sons. Besides, we are used to having human fathers as instructors, and we respected them. Shall we not much more? Now listen, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Indeed, for a short time, they, natural fathers, disciplined us as seemed best to them. But he, God, does not, does so for our benefit so that we may share in his holiness. Now, all discipline seems painful at the moment, not joyful, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. There's the corresponding freedom to those who have been trained by it. Now, when I read that, I was so struck by the fact it said, shall not, how, shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? The father of spirits. It, it parallels a natural father in their discipline for us, that they disciplined us as seemed best. Now, I know that we live in a broken world, and not every father's discipline was good, wholesome discipline. We understand that. And maybe 
they thought it was for best and it wasn't and all kind and maybe it was not for good at all but when we're bringing discipline and we're paralleling it to our heavenly father it is always always for our benefit it is always to bring us into wholeness and holiness and righteousness and peace Many times the peace we lack in our life is that we just will not subject ourselves to the Father's corrections. And so, but this Father of Spirits, that really jumped out at me. And I began to think about the fact that Jesus told the woman at the well that the Father is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, God made the whole planet that we see, made rocks and trees and beetles and bugs and birds and butterflies and and goats and rats and cats and, and you name it, and he made it, right? But none of that has a spirit. And then he made moi and you. And you have a spirit. Because you're made in his image. A rock's not made in his image. A cat's not made in his image. Your dog, no matter how much you love it, and you call it your fur baby, it's not an imager. Will it be in heaven? I don't know, maybe just because you love it, but not because it's redeemed. Spirits. See, he, he causes us. He's the father of spirits. And so in our lives, we find that the discipline that we are undergoing is to make us people who learn how to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. So many people have trouble with this. Let me just read a little bit out of Romans 8. Oh, Lord, I didn't get my glasses out. For those who have, oh, are they clean? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. I'm not talking to y'all tonight. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For the minds of the flesh is death. The mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit itself to to the law of God, for it cannot. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He's the father of spirits, and he is wanting to teach us to be able to take our circumstances and to take that circumstance under his discipline and then to make a choice of faith that brings about the development of the spirit walk in our life. This is why so many people come into the house of God and that they've been born again and they live year after year and decade after decade after decade and they never develop spiritually. Because they take their circumstance and they live by what they see and they do not subject themselves to the law of God or to the discipline of God. They won't allow him the work and the access in their life and they choose after the things of the flesh and they choose after the things of the flesh and they choose. What do you mean after the things of the flesh? They let their circumstance guide them. And it leads them further away. 
and they're always rocking and rolling. Their spiritual life looks like this. Because we have to be people who say, Lord, I want to receive the fullness of your spirit and your blessing, and I want to learn how to walk by the spirit. I can tell you right now how easy it is to walk by the spirit. It is simple, simple, simple. You may tell you how? Do the opposite of what you normally do. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Not a bit. When you get mad at someone and it's your natural response right there, discipline yourself. Lord bless you. Thank you. You just walk. You were just trained by your circumstance. You just learned how to walk in the Spirit. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't natural. You do that long enough. The same response that got you into the mess you're in, do the opposite. Just do the opposite. You will find you're walking by the Spirit. You didn't even hardly try. Just the opposite. You know how to walk by the flesh. You're like, Masters, A+, plus, you know, platinum card. Right? Is it hard for y'all to walk in, walk in the flesh? How many? Raise your hand. Go, it's just so difficult for me to walk in the flesh. Just can't figure it out. Every time I'm like, I'm going to walk in the flesh today, I wind up walking in the spirit. It's a big no. no see, I'm not on any pain meds, by the way, about now. You're like, some of y'all, she's high. I'm not. I took a Tylenol, just for clarity. So we understand this is what discipline, he's trying to teach us to walk in the spirit. So circumstance starts out the story in Ruth. And it's, was it their choices? Is it my choices in my circumstance? Is it the choices of others? Might be, might be my choices. How many of you ever been in a, in a hole that was your own digging? I mean, we all have. Maybe it's the choices of others. How many of you have been in circumstances that somebody else created for you? Raise your hand. I've been, I've been there. How many of you have been in circumstances that were nobody's choices? It just happened. Yeah, we've all. The circumstances, we, we're all in the same boat. Not every circumstance is, i got three minutes. <laughs> Not every circumstance is the Lord's discipline. But every, wait, wait, this is so important. He's, he's not going to say stuff near as important as me. Not every circumstance is the Lord's discipline. But the Lord can work every circumstance to his good. Wait, wait for it to those who love God and the called according to his purpose. See, those are the ones who submit to his discipline. See, you, not every, everything, oh, everything works for good. Not, no, no, no. Mm -mm. If that were true, we'd live in a much different world. So the chastening circumstances in this story of Ruth erupts into opportunity. Can you imagine if your chastening circumstances or your, maybe they're not chastening, maybe they're just circumstances. What if they erupted into an opportunity? They could, but it's just one little thing you got to leverage, and that's your choice. Ruth had to let go of Moab. She had to let go of all she knew. She had to let go of how she paid her bills. She had, am I preaching to real people? 
She had to let go of her financial security before she had any more. She had to let go of her known relationships. She had to let go of how she did her economy, her market in Moab. You know what I'm talking about. She, went to, she had to let go of all of that. See, she let go of that before she took hold. She claved to Naomi. I loved what you said about like scales on a fish. Mm. That's what cleaving is, like scales on a fish. I dare you. I double dog dare you to hang on to God like scales on a fish and let go of what you're putting your false security in where you're refusing to be disciplined. Let go of it. Well, Andrew, you know, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know. This is called faith. It'll always be faith. See, it's like a trapeze artist. They're standing here on the little, and what's coming toward them? You know, and they jump off, and they're swinging. They're on this, right? And they're swinging. And what's coming toward them? Another, yeah, y'all been in the circus, hadn't you? And what do they have to do in order to make it to the other side? They got to let go of this one to take hold of this one. If they think, what if I can't make the jump and they decide to hang on to both at the same time? That's where a lot of people are living today. They're not letting go of Moab. They're not letting go of their, of their, it may be the way your mama did it, your daddy did it, your mama's mama did it. They've always done it this way. I don't care. I don't do things like my family did. I guarantee you. I don't. I let go. I let go. And I took hold. See, for the discipline of letting go, and it is a discipline, it's the corresponding freedom of taking hold. That's the corresponding freedom. My watch is going off, but let me just say, I'm summing it up right here. Shh, don't be, hush, hush, we'll work on that later. We'll let go of the old realities and take hold of new realities. Let go of old mindsets. Take hold of new mindsets. Let go of the old fear master and take hold of the faith master. Let go of old habits. Take hold of new habits. Let go of insecurities and take hold of confidence. Let go of history and take hold of the future. Let go of comfort and take hold of opportunities. We've got to let go. We've got to uncleave somewhere in order to cleave in a new place. You can't stay on the, ro on the mo road to Moab forever. You've got to get off of that track. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. Let go of the mundane. Let go. Remember, it's possible to live and die unsaved. Now listen to me. I'm closing right here. It is possible for each and every person to live and to die unsaved. But it is not possible 
for a person to live or die unloved. The Father disciplines those he loves. And he disciplines us not for our destruction, but for our freedom. Now, we move to barley and new beginnings. Let's look at at Ruth 1, uh, 22. It's the only verse I want to read tonight. Out of Ruth. You've got 20 minutes. (laughs) So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. Now, I just want to add something to what she said, so don't mark the time against me just yet, okay? It's going to lead in. It's talking about discipline. Discipline. Early on when my children were born was early on in my Christian faith. In fact, I got saved after Andrea was pregnant with Laney. So you can do the math. So in that, I've just entered the kingdom of God with a childlike faith. Lord, teach me, show me, show me, teach me. My biggest prayer is, God, let me not mess up my children. That was my biggest concern as a parent. Lord, let me not mess up my children. So I relied very heavily upon God. I relied very heavily upon the Word of God. So I ran across this passage she read to us tonight in Hebrews about discipline your children, how it brings the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And this is what the Lord spoke to me early on as a young parent. He said, you have to teach your children to not only hear your voice, but to obey your voice. So that if they get out in the front yard and they're running somewhere, they got away from you, you've got to have enough command and authority in their life in proper discipline that when you call their voice, call for them, they return. If they're running towards us, you call them back. Are you hearing me? And what the Lord began to teach me is that my responsibility as a parent was to teach them to hear and to obey my voice as a father and as a mother so that when they grew up, they would have a better chance of hearing and obeying the voice of God. To hearing and obeying the voice of God. But now we've got, we've got Ruth here stepped into the story. Notice what we said last week. She, she made that declaration to Naomi. She said, Naomi... Uh, I'm going where you're going. I'm going to die where you die. I'm, I'm, your God is going to be my God. In fact, your people are going to be my people. So she's left her Moabite culture where they serve the God of Kishmas, which allowed for human sacrifice. So they didn't put a lot of value in humans. They would sacrifice humans to get what they wanted get the provision they wanted. So that's the culture she grew up in. That was how she was accustomed to worshiping because that's all she ever knew until she met Naomi and married into this family. But now she's going to have to learn to worship differently. She's going to have to learn to worship. It's a discipline on her part. But also she said, your people are going to be my people. There is a whole nother cultural shift that's about to take place in her life. They're not going to do things like they did in Moab. They're not going to do things like they used to do. They're, she's got to learn a whole new system. And if you've never lived in another culture, you don't have a full proper understanding as to what it means to live in a different culture. 
Because when you step into a different culture, it, people are still people, but they're programming the way they do things. It is different. But see, it's no different for the people that come in out of the world into the house of God. There is a new culture that we learn to walk in, and we have to discipline ourselves to walk in that culture where we turn the other cheek where we learn to discipline our thoughts, where we bring ourselves under subjection to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, where we don't always elevate our rights, but we submit ourselves to a holy God and begin to allow the Word of God to govern our lives. Even beyond the feelings, we will eventually get to the field, but we're not going to get to the field this, this week. I'm excited about the field because there's so much in the field. But we see that Naomi here, uh, or Ruth here, is following after Naomi. She is going into what perceivably could be a society that is going to marginalize her, maybe not accept her, because in the Jewish law, a Moabite was, even into the 10th generations, where others could come in after the 10th generation, an Ammonite or a Moabite could not enter the house of worship. So she's, she's coming into that where she, she doesn't know if she's going to be accepted or not. But she's made this commitment, and she's following after. And you'll find in, in Deuteronomy 23 that, that prohibition on the Moabite going into the house of worship because they came from, they would not give bread and water when Israel was in a great moment of need when they were leaving Egypt to go to the land of promise they asked of the Moabites and the Ammonites for provision and they said no you keep going, you keep moving and then they hire Balaam this cultic prophet to go and to curse the people. The Moabites did this. So the Moabites were not allowed. But we'll find at the end of the story that Boaz marries a Moabite and Jesus on the lineage and all that kind of stuff. How's that possible? Interesting enough, I read a, a rabbi and several rabbis, they, the interpretation of that, they believe that, that the that the prohibition was on the Moabite man, not on the Moabite women. That Moabitists could actually enter in because in their belief, it was the men that started war, made the decisions, and decided whether or not those things would transpire. To go hire a false prophet to, or a prophet to, to bring a curse, it wasn't the women that were doing it, it was the men. But they also believed that the, the form of the person came from the man, the husband, and the matter in which that child was conceived came from the woman. Interesting. So here is Ruth. And the Bible gives us things just for studiers, for why did you say that, Lord? There are times where my interest is peaked on is what is not said, and then there are times where my interest is piqued on what is said. But they leave the 
they, they come down to the end of the verse that I just read at the last verse of the chapter. And no, verses were not given. Uh, we put those in there. But in the writings, it would have been complete. But what we see here is they returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem, the house of bread, at the time of the barley harvest. At the time of the barley harvest. Well, what is the significance of barley? Well, it was grown. It was the first... Um, grain that was harvested it was very plentiful it was uh, considered somewhat of an inferior grain it was a grain that was used primarily to feed the animals but what we find is that the barley was also regarded as a symbol of poverty cheapness or even worthlessness it was used as food for the poor it was considered somewhat insignificant. But still, there were worship centered around that, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. Like Hamburger Helper. Like Hamburger Helper. Don't knock it. I, I was raised on Hamburger Helper. But it was interesting enough that God can take the least. He can take, the, he can take what doesn't seem significant to anybody else. He can go to Walmart and get this barley loaf. Barley? It's not barley. <laughs> but see, the Lord can take a, a, a barley loaf and he can turn it into a sword. So how can you do that? Well, he can do that in the mind of your enemy. You'll find there's a story in the Word of God as you see some significance of barley. And we're going to get into the barley harvest in just a minute. But you see that they came to Jerusalem at the time of the barley harvest. And so if you, if you look in Judges 7, 13, 14, it says when Gideon, you remember old Gideon? Uh, one of the judges, in fact, amazingly enough, it's when the book of Ruth was written. is during the time that Gideon was ruling the land. Hmm. A quinky dink? I don't think so. But anyway, and when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream. In other words, there was a time where Gideon had already, uh, the Lord had already whittled down his, his troops, went from several thousand to, to now they're down to 300. They're out, gathered up, uh, coming against the enemy. They're going to use, as the Lord instructed them, they're going to use torches uh, and they're going to use a trumpet. And so... All through that story of Gideon, I love it because it's so familiar to us. The Lord keeps asking Gideon, are you afraid? Are you afraid? Yeah. Uh, Lord, I need this fleece and I need that fleece. And are you still afraid? Well, then do the, tear down the, the altar at night. And are you afraid? Are you still afraid, Gideon? Yeah, I'm still afraid. Well, go down to the camp. Sneak down to the enemy's camp. Press your ear to the tent. And listen to the conversation that's taking place. Listen to what the enemy is saying about you. What is the enemy afraid of? Are you with me? Okay, as you look here in Judges, this is, this is where we're at. We're at this place in Judges 7 and 13. It says, when Gideon had come, he's come to the camp. There was a man telling a dream to his companion. I've got to tell you this dream I've had. He said, I had a dream. He said, to my surprise... A loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. 
it came to a tent and it struck it so that it fell and it overturned the tent and the tent collapsed. Oh, oh my Lord, what a nightmare. Then his companion answered him and said, this is none other than the sword of Gideon. Are you with me? Son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand, God has delivered the Midian to the whole camp. A loaf of bread turned into a sword of Gideon. Are you with me? A sword in the mind of the enemy. See what they were looking at, a barley loaf. A weak, insignificant, inferior grain like old Gideon, who's whittled his troops down to 300, is going to come in and topple the camp of an innumerable host. And the enemy is more afraid of Gideon than Gideon is of the enemy. So you know what Gideon's instruction was? He said, when you guys blow the trumpet, he didn't say guys, but he said, when I blow the trumpet, when I blow the trumpet, and all who are with me, then you shall also blow the trumpet on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Randall, I'm going to quote Randall quoting somebody, quoting me, quoting Randall, quoting somebody. No, it was... Uh, Something Randall shared with me this week I thought was so powerful. He shared it with his class on Sunday. You guys keep doing what you're doing. I'd love to hear the Spirit of God moving. Reinhard Bonnke said this. One day, the Holy Spirit told me, my word in your mouth is just as powerful as my word in my mouth. The power is in the word of God. <coughs> See, the revelation I want to get you to tonight is what the enemy so desperately wants to keep you from. See, barley was considered insignificant. Only the poor would eat the barley, and you fed it to your animals. It was vital. It was needful for that society, that agrarian society, but it was not considered if you had a loaf of wheat and a loaf of barley, they're going to go for the wheat every time. But what I want you to see is what the enemy wants to keep you from understanding. Because if you ever, see, every time he attacks you, he is about to destroy his own kingdom. Because every time that he comes against you, he is poking in on an area that if you wake up to it, it's going to annihilate whatever it is he's trying to do. What is this? What is this revelation that we're looking at? Paul discovered it. He declared it. In fact, he says in the Word of God, the revelation, folks, is that of weakness. God said he has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame those things that are mighty. And, the least, and Paul had an infer he had something in his flesh, a thorn in his flesh, and he petitioned God three times uh, to remove it. And this is what the Lord said to him, My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast of my infirmities uh, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs, persecution and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am strong what is the revelation we need to begin to understand and that is in your weakness in your weakness 
That is where God's strength is made perfect. And all the Lord is looking for is some folks that will just trust in him and not themselves. Because when you are weak, now you're strong in God. Because you don't have the answers. He has the answers. Because he's the one who is giving the answers. And see, if I'm drawing from my strength, I'm not drawing from the strength of the Lord. So what they are looking at in Gideon's day is he is showing up, not in his strength. They wrote him off as insignificant. They wrote him off that innumerable host that was gathered around him. Oh, they wrote him off as if he was nothing. But a barley loaf. But in his weakness, in his weakness, the strength of God began to arise. And when they blew the trumpet, when that trumpet, the sword of the Lord, the word of the Lord becomes a word in your mouth, now all of a sudden there's destruction in the enemy's camp. He doesn't, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why did we do this little exercise of rest before we went to prayer? Because we're not, we're not sourcing this thing. We're not sourcing this, this revival that God is bringing to this house. We're not sourcing the moving of the Spirit. We're not sourcing the, the healing. We're just making ourselves avenues, vehicles, funnels, in which God begins to move, not just to us, but he now begins to move through us. And now Paul says, I'm not going to brag on how well I know the Torah. I'm not going to brag on my physical stature. I'm not going to tell you about all the things I've accomplished. What I want to tell you is that my God is able and when I'm weak then you better watch out because his strength is upon me his strength is upon me my God in mercy if we can just get to the place church where we don't trust in anything or anyone else but God oh you're gonna lay hands on the sick and you're gonna see them recover you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna worship and see the glory of God begin to rest. You're gonna pray and start to see strongholds broken. You're gonna begin to speak the word, and you're gonna understand this is not my word; it's His word in my mouth. You got time for just a minute more? I don't know. They're still okay. So, there's also a prophetic implication of barley harvest. This is fascinating. In Jewish tradition, they, have, they, all, they read during the time of Pentecost, they read the book of Ruth. See, the barley harvest, they would bring at the time of the barley harvest, each of the feasts of Israel, the three that were set aside, and within each of those three feasts, there's other feasts that are combined. I'm not going to take the time to, to tell about those. I'll just tell you that there's Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering. So, at the time of Passover was the time of the barley harvest. It's the beginning. They would take the, the first cuttings, the first reapings of the barley harvest, and after the Passover lamb, after the lamb was, was slain, and then the Sunday after the, after the Friday, they would come into the tabernacle of God or the place of worship and they would wave it's a wave offering it was the first fruit 
we'll get to this, is a first fruit wave offering. Now, 50 days after that would be the wheat harvest. And so what they would do is they would take not, uh, they, would, they would take not the, the, the sheave and wave it, but they would go, and the Bible says that they would have two loaves of the wheat from the first pickings to make two loaves of bread. And then that would become the wave offering. So as you, as you look here, we see that, see, Naomi, Naomi represents Israel in this story. Amazingly enough, the Jews didn't even know the prophecy centered in Ruth and the representation there because Ruth represents the Gentiles because she is a Gentile. And there are two loaves that come in, that of Israel and that of the Gentiles. See, because Pentecost is a declaration to all generations that the harvest belongs to God. It was the only bread that was, that was leavened in worship. You hear the negative leaven, leaven of the Pharisees, leaven of the, uh, leaven of the enemy. It was a bad thing. Leaven is what, you, was what causes the, the, the dough to rise. But there is also the leaven of the kingdom. There's the leaven of the kingdom of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that goes forth. And so the Lord desired for the entire world to come into covenant with him. Now, I've come to this revelation, church. So often we in the Western world, because of our Western culture and our Western mindset, we, now be honest with me, we think that Israel is coming into us. What we have to stop to realize is that all this started with Israel. We've just joined Israel who have joined Christ. It's had some theological barriers break off in my mind where now I begin to understand that, wait a minute, the church is not meant to be separate from the covenant people that started this thing out. Be careful now because I don't want to get too much in the, into this tonight. But what I'm saying is that Israel brought forth, Israel was the womb that brought in, Naomi was the womb that brought in a, a Ruth. And Ruth came into the kingdom just like we came into the kingdom of God through Israel, through the covenant. See, Jesus was a Jew. 100% Hebrew. He came from the line of the tribe of Judah. Now we enter in to the kingdom of God through Jesus. Amen? So there's, a, there's an Israel that hasn't accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but there is an Israel that has, and we are the result of that Israel that has received the Messiah. We are part of the covenant the blessings of Abraham. It'll be like the sands of the seashore, the natural, and it's going to be like the stars in the heaven, the spiritual. Amen? So, 
as we look at that, there's a prophetic, there's a prophetic implication of this, of these, these barley loaves. And for your own reading, you can look at John 6, and you'll discover that there was a crowd of 5,000 people in John 6. This crowd of 5,000 people had stayed with the Lord, listening to his teachings, the Lord Jesus. It was time to, it was like the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, you, you, these, guys are, these guys are hungry. You need to send them away. The Lord said, no, you feed them. Me feed them. I don't have anything. You got anything? Peter, you got anything? I don't have anything. Philip, you got, I don't have anything. The blessing of giving. What do we have? Well, this little boy's got a sack lunch. What does he have? He's got some fish. Five barley loaves of bread. Oh, he said, sit them down. Companies of 50 and 100, bring what you have to me. That insignificant thing that you don't think anybody's going to care for, that little, that little nothing that you don't think anybody's going to even notice, maybe helping somebody get their car where it needs to go. And I, I don't know, just bring that some little something, maybe a song that, that's on your heart, maybe a word that you can share with a, with a loved one. Just, you know, take, take that something that seems so common and ordinary and just bring it to the Lord and let him bless it, let him break it, let him give it back to you, and he'll take that now and he'll multiply it into a buffet for a crowd of five. And you'll overturn the tents of the enemy. <laughs> but see, what are we giving them? See, quote the scripture for me. I need somebody to help me. The not just the foolish things. The 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 message of the gospel is. Foolishness to them that are perishing, but to we who are being saved, it is light. Now, they fed barley loaves to satisfy the hunger of the crowd. At the time of Passover, when the lamb was slain, time of harvest they were to take the first reapings of that harvest which is barley and they were to wave it before the Lord to say God you are responsible we need you and depend upon you for the harvest if we take that same imagery because we have no doubt that Jesus is the Lamb. John clarified that for us. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But let me submit to you. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits for those who have fallen asleep. Who's that barley loaf? That barley sheave being waved, Jesus resurrected 
Jesus. When we share what we have after we bring it to him and he blesses it, you are blessed, people. No matter how insignificant it looks to anybody else, no matter how insignificant you feel, no matter what you believe about yourself, what's more important is what God believes about you. And he takes what looks like foolishness in the eyes of the world, which we shouldn't even care, and he now uses that, your story, my story, for his glory. And we give that, and it feeds multitudes of generation after generation after generation. But see, we wouldn't have a story without our weakness. Oh, I don't glory in my strengths. I glory in my weaknesses. Amen? Because my weakness is my friend. Because my weakness declares he is glorified, not me. Because I'm drawing from his strength, not my own. Oh, I can't wait to get in the field. Because we're going to find some good things in the field. But I believe we found some good things tonight. Here is Ruth, who represents us, who is coming into a culture that was not her own to worship a God that she has yet to meet that we know of and she's going to be a part of the lineage of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ God purposely and intentionally put Ruth in our path and the barley harvest at the time of the barley harvest now she and her story <laughs> her story has reaped benefits. These four chapters have impacted nations and generations and continues to do so because she made a choice to discipline herself to a new walk, a new talk, and a new worship. We're going to close right now, and I took more time than her, but that's all right, just for the record. I want you to stand where you're at. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge you to stop listening to fear. I want to challenge you to stop listening to the past. I want to challenge you to stop listening to the voices that tell you where you came from. I want to challenge you to stop listening to your rights. Stop listening to your hurts. Stop trying to reform yourself I want to challenge you just to go ahead and die and let him live and believe whatever the Bible says about Jesus he means it for you whatever the Bible says about victory that is yours whatever the Bible says about joy that's yours whatever the Bible says that is who you are 
and that is who you have meant to be. So here's your challenge. Just accept him and just start walking in him. And I, my prayer is going to be this. I'm going to make you more uncomfortable because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to make you uncomfortable in weeks ahead. If God's going to challenge me, he's going to challenge you. Everything you rely on, I challenge tonight to say, God, get rid of it. Point it out. Let us recognize it. Let us get rid of it. Whatever I depend upon, let it go. That's called a life of surrender. Amen? Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, you've got destinies and desires, purposes and plans in this house. And Lord, you have, Lord, something, Lord God, for each and every person in here. But, Lord, we're not going to find it, Lord God, in redeeming, Lord God, ourselves, Lord God. We've got to understand the redemption is complete already in you. And, Lord, we're going to walk in the mindset. We're going to walk in the understanding. We're going to walk in the knowing, Lord God, that, Lord, you're in us and we are in you. And, the Lord, you have called us to this hour and to this day. Now, Father, I pray, Lord God, that, Lord, you would recondition our hearts, our minds, and our souls to live, Father God, in the likeness of your image, Lord God, day after day after day. And stop, Lord God, returning to those broken cisterns. Uh, take us, Lord God, to the Lord, the living water that has no end and the flow will never stop. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you tonight. God, for your mercy. God, for your grace. In Jesus' name. Folks, fear is not going to have any comfort in this house. It's just not going to happen. You might as well get rid of it now. Amen? Just let go of it and grab hold of God. Because God's going to challenge our fears. You can't grow in fear. You cannot. You cannot. When the Lord said, you will not add one cubit, he would go as far, I believe, and it's not taking anything from the Word of God. You cannot grow in fear. You will diminish in fear, but you'll never grow in fear. You'll never, ever grow in fear. You can only grow in faith. Let faith begin to be your response, and you'll discover God's response being grace. Amen. I'm going to quit. You left too much anointing up here. So, tonight we're going to pray for the Abrams. Missionaries to Tanzania, country of Africa, church planners, and there's the family right there. Part of our, they just pastored down the road for years. Got a call a few years ago to go to Tanzania to begin to build and to plant churches. So let's pray for the Abrams tonight as they are ministering there in Tanzania. And we thank God, just like we heard that Elijah came as a missionary to Af to, from Africa to America. And then we send missionaries over to Africa. And we've got Kunle over here, a missionary to America. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work, isn't it? Everybody's about mission. It's just depending on where your mission call is. Let's go to the Lord right now. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, as we pray tonight, we're asking, Lord God, that you would move in a mighty way, Lord God, in the country of Tanzania. We pray for Jimmy, Lord God, and his family. We ask, Lord, that there will be a special anointing rest upon them. Lord, we emphasize, Lord God, you tonight and them, Lord, and we just pray.
pray, God, that whatever struggles are in right now, that there would be an influx, Lord, in a joy of the Spirit, and that, Lord, you'd begin to open doors, Lord God, that no man can shut. Lord, those breakthroughs that they're longing for, Lord God, let them break even now. Let the light of the gospel begin to infiltrate the minds and the hearts and the souls of those in Tanzania. And, Lord, we pray tonight, Father God, for your mercy and your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers are at the back. You can give your offerings there. God bless you. We'll see you here Saturday morning at 8.30 for prayer.